0: Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84 Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. With you. you got the text earlier this week with all the signs. Oh, yeah, okay. I did. Never, I never stopped to ask if you had, but I assumed that you had. Yeah, I did. I, I got it at school, and then this morning I thought, oh yeah, I better check that message. This morning, sure. So yeah. Just, just a big flash of light woke me up. I guess my face was towards the front window. A big flash of light, and then boom. It was just No, no, it was thunder. Yeah. just like whenever they they set up those flashers yeah. doing fireworks yeah. and just big things. Yeah. yeah. And there's no sparkly things, just big mm-hmm. flash. That's what it was, one big flash. <laughs> wow. How old are you? I actually rolled it and nature of I was <got something> <laughs> still I've always done that though. <laughs> you don't want to get left behind and yeah. out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. this book, and a picture I i but you. guess <laughs> there's <laughs> Do yeah. you? <laughs> Yeah. Today. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And yeah. really good. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's Yeah. yeah. We could yeah. Have to it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and just no, they're all over yeah, so oh. yeah, they yeah. they the you have to order so many. So you've got to just have to on the can't it. You can change it. You can't change it. You You can't You to it. You I'll tell you what. to do. i in the head with a five-eighths-inch <laughs> <laughs> rebar. John said we can do it. We really will. We will. There's a lot of things you not know about. Actually, I only you need know, to this oh. got That a neat job. the last oh. yeah. so I the I draft. You made a mistake sitting down on the for a He's great. He but he didn't. That That? I'm going to be up there. I'm going to want to and the I get phone. I not. I I I Good morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to see you all here today. Let us pray. Our Father, it is our goal, our intention, our desire today to worship you, Almighty God. There indeed is none like you. We pray that today as we are gathered together in your name, that you might aid our efforts, our attempts to... Give up up to you praise and pure worship. May it be in spirit and in truth as you desire. May we today exalt the name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And in so doing, may we honor you and enjoy the fellowship of your Spirit. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 78th Psalm. We won't be reading the entire psalm. But we'll begin, it says in verse 12, we'll begin in verse 10. Speaking about Israel, it says, They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wondrous works he had shown them. He worked wonders in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, the territory of Zoan. He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Torrents overflowed. But can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and became furious. Then fire broke out against Jacob, and anger flared up against Israel because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. He gave a command to the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. He made the east wind blow in the skies and drove the south wind by his might. He rained meat on them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the seas. He made them fall in the camp all around the tents, the birds, that is. The people ate and were completely satisfied, for he gave them what they craved. Before they had turned from what they craved, while the food was still in their mouths, God's anger flared up against them and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's fit young men. Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wondrous works. He made their days end in futility, their years in sudden disaster. When he killed some of them, the rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him, and they were unfaithful to his covenant. Yet he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his wonders in the territory of Zoan. Dropping down now to verse 51. He had struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the first progeny of the tents of Ham. He led his people out like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely, and they were not afraid, but the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy territory, to the mountain his right hand acquired. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep his decrees. They treacherously turned away like their ancestors. They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images, their idols. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. This is the word of the Lord. And we are in First Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. Sometimes it is important to remember that chapter and verse divisions were not part of the Bible originally. They were added much later. Chapter and verse divisions can be very helpful for locating, finding different things in the scriptures. But remember, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was just writing a letter, one big, long letter to a group of people. One part flows into the next part, into the next part, into the next part. All the pieces locked together. Sometimes when all we see are chapters and verses, it's easy to lose sight of that. In chapter 8, Paul was using the Corinthians' own argument against them. They had argued, an idol is nothing, and the so-called gods that the idols represent, well, they aren't really gods. And all things are permissible for me because I'm free in Christ Jesus. Paul used their own argument to show that their logic was faulty. Their argument failed because... In going to the idol temples to eat food that had been offered to idols, they were tearing down, not building up, their brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ for whom Christ had died. In tearing them down and not building them up, they were actually sinning against Christ. And we move now right into chapter 9, and Paul is going to give us some examples You know, anytime you give instruction to someone, it's really good to follow it up with examples because that makes it real. That helps us understand. And Paul is doing nothing different here but giving an example to the Corinthians. It's interesting. He uses himself as an example. We're going to be taking a walk through the word today, not preaching a sermon per se, but taking a walk through the word to. Try to explain what it means so that you have a good understanding of this section whenever you leave here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul uses himself as an example. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? I I led you all to Christ. If I am not an apostle to other people, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You can't deny the fact that I brought the gospel to you. You're mine. I planted you in the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. My defense to those who examine me is this. As apostles, don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, like the Lord's brothers, and like Cephas, that that is Peter? Or do only Barnabas and I, Barnabas, of course, was Paul's associate, do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Answer me this. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Even soldiers get paid for their service. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law, that is the law of Moses, the Old Testament, also say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Now, let me ask you, is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services in Jerusalem eat the food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar, In the temple, share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Let's pause there for a second. At the end of chapter 8, Paul had expressed this idea that we are not to live for ourselves, we are to seek the good of our brothers and sisters, we are to build them up. He had said at the end of the chapter, if the food that I eat would cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble because their conscience is weak and they think that it's not right to eat that food. He says, I'll never eat meat again if it would cause my brother or sister to stumble. You see, my rights and my prerogatives aren't my first priority the well-being, the conscience of my brother and sister, that is my first priority. So now he's using himself as an example. He's pointing to the fact that apostles, those who carry the good news of Jesus to other people, that the Lord has clearly stated that they have a right to make their living by the good news. Someone who's in full-time service to the Lord need not be concerned with trying to find some other way to buy food. The Lord's people should support the work of the Lord's gospel ministers. That's the principle that Paul is communicating here. He says, even in the Old Testament, it says, don't muzzle the ox while he treads out grain. The ox will be tied to a a pole, which is connected to a horizontal mill wheel, And the grain funnels into the mill wheel and the ox walks round and round in circles as that grain is getting crushed by the mill wheel. And the Old Testament says, don't put a muzzle on him. Let his mouth open so that he can eat as he goes. He's doing the work of grinding the grain. He at least ought to be able to eat whenever he's hungry. Paul says, did God state that principle because he was so concerned about oxen? Paul says, no, that principle is an illustration that those who are serving the Lord in his work ought to be able to eat and not have to worry about where they're going to get their food. He says, look at the priests in the temple in Jerusalem. They offer sacrifices to the Lord on the altar of the Lord there at the temple. Paul says, don't you understand that they eat that food? After it's offered to the Lord, they take it back and they have a meal together. That's something that the Lord did to provide for his servants. He says it's no different for apostles. Apostles are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they ought to be able to eat. Paul says, I'm an apostle just like the rest of them. But here's the point that Paul is getting to. He's going to tell us in the next verse. He has not been taking advantage of this privilege. He's not been using it. He's been paying his own way the whole time, especially in regards to the Corinthians. He has taken nothing from them, not even a meal. He has been working a job in order to buy food, in order to have a place to live, because he's not going to take anything from them. Verse 14, let's read it again. He says, In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. What boast is he talking about? What's he getting at? We're going to find out that his boast is this idea that I am working for Jesus, I am carrying the good news, and I'm not charging anyone a single cent for it. I'm paying my way. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's situation's a little bit different than mine when it comes to preaching the gospel. It's actually a lot different than mine. I get to preach the gospel every week here, and it's a wonderful blessing and privilege. I never had a moment where I was on a road going to Damascus and a bright light shone around me and knocked me to the ground and blinded me, and the Lord Jesus himself spoke in an audible voice and said, David, David, It's time for you to stop what you're doing because I'm commissioning you. I have a job for you. You're working for me now. You're going to carry the good news to the nations. Never once did that happen to me. Never saw a light. I never heard a voice. Jesus Christ never personally commissioned me to preach the gospel. But that was Paul's situation. Paul did see a light. Paul did hear a voice. Paul did get blinded, knocked to the ground. And the Lord Jesus spoke with him and said, Paul, you're mine. And there was no opportunity for Paul to say, but, but, no, I don't think I really want this. No, Paul says he was compelled, he was forced. He had no choice in the matter. The Lord Jesus said, you're working for me now. You're taking the gospel to the nations. You see, his situation was very unique. Those who minister the gospel today don't have that situation. In fact, almost all of the people who ministered in the gospel back then didn't have that situation. But Paul did. His situation was different. He says, I'm not preaching the gospel because I just thought it was a good thing to do. And so I decided I'm going to serve the Lord this way. He says, no, the Lord Jesus grabbed a hold of me, shook me by the scruff of the neck and said, you're working for me now. I was compelled to work for him. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, if I don't do what the Lord Jesus has commanded me to do, I'm doomed He says, if I do this willingly, verse 17, I have a reward, but that's not my situation. If unwillingly, that means I have been entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Paul says, my reward is this. If I've been commissioned and compelled to preach the gospel, I didn't just come up with this idea on my own. The only way that I get a reward is if I preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make use, full use of my rights in the gospel. Remember, the right of a gospel minister is to earn his living through the gospel. Not have to worry about where his food is going to come from so he can pursue full-time service to the Lord. I say him, him or her. Men and women both can serve the Lord and the gospel. Don't misunderstand me. Paul says, my situation's different. I'm compelled. The only way I can get any kind of reward, any kind of credit, is if I do this free of charge and don't make use of my rights to make a living by the gospel. Verse 19, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone In order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? To win Jews to the gospel. To those under the law, the law of Moses, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, I became like one under the law in order to win those that are under the law. To those who are without the law, Gentiles, I became like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, I'm under the law of Christ. But I became like one without the law. I became like a Gentile in order to win those people who were without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Remember, Paul is compelled to work for Jesus, to preach the gospel. He says the only way I get a reward is if I don't take advantage of the Perks that I have as an apostle. As a minister of the gospel, I should be free to serve Christ and not worry about how I'm going to pay my rent or buy my next meal. He says, but I'm not taking advantage of that situation. I'm not taking advantage of those rights, those privileges, those perks because I just want to give the gospel free of charge to everyone because that's the only way I get a reward. My situation's different, Paul says. Verse 24 Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but there's only one that receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. Uh, athletes who, who won the races would be crowned with a laurel wreath upon their heads. That would look real pretty for a few days, and then it would wilt and wither. Paul says everything they do, all the training, all of the discipline, all of the self-control that they put themselves under, they do it to win the race to get the glory, to win a crown, a crown that's gonna wither and wilt and not be very attractive in a short period of time. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, we're running to receive an imperishable crown. So I don't run like one who runs aimlessly, I don't box like one who's just beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body, bring it under strict control. So that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. How is any of this an example for the Corinthian believers? Remember back in chapter 8, Paul has expressed this central core principle for each of us living out our lives in Jesus Christ. That core principle is... I'm not living to please myself. Even if there are things that I don't have any problem, any qualm, any, any worry of conscience about, if it's something that could cause my brother or sister to stumble, to fall, I'm going to avoid it like the plague because I'm not living for myself. I'm living for my brother or sister. I don't want them to fall. I want to build them up. I want them to mature and grow. That wasn't just for the Apostle Paul. That was for every single one of us. That's how we are to live. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. That's what that means. To build one another up. To make sure that our sister, our brother, doesn't fall doesn't stumble, doesn't go into sin, doesn't have their conscience wounded by something we would say or do. Loving our neighbor. It's about selflessness. So how does Paul's example show this? In effect, he's saying, look at me. I'm an apostle just like Peter, just like James and John. I'm an apostle, and as an apostle, I have a right to make my living through serving the Lord in his gospel, in his good news. He said, I'm not taking advantage of that right. I'm not concerned about my rights. Why am I not taking advantage of that right? He says, because I don't want anything to get in the way of you placing your full, confident trust in the gospel of Jesus I want you to be built up in Christ and to believe and to follow him. And if if me taking a paycheck or taking food would somehow be a stumbling block to someone coming to faith in Christ, I don't want that. I will sacrifice my own rights and privileges for your good. Going even further than that, Paul says, look at my ministry. When I am trying to win Jews... To Jesus Christ. I'm sensitive to the fact that they are living under the law. I don't go in there and flaunt that, hey, I'm free in Christ. So all of this law stuff, that's, that's garbage, man. You don't have to listen to that. I don't do that. When I'm with Jews, I live like a Jew. Why? Because the only thing I'm concerned about is I want them to believe the gospel and enter into a relationship with the true and living God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I don't do anything to offend the Jews. And when I'm with Gentiles who don't know anything about the law of the Lord that was given at Mount Sinai through Moses, he says, I I don't walk around quoting the Old Testament all the time. Because these people don't even have any of that. He says, I live like one of them, not in the sinful things that they do, but I eat what they eat. I don't question it. I don't act like I'm better than them. Why? I am, after all, a Jew. But when I'm with Gentiles, the only thing I'm concerned about is trying to win these people to Jesus Christ because I want them to enter into a life-giving relationship with the true and living God through his only son, Jesus Christ. Can't you see what my bottom line is? Paul is screaming. My bottom line is I want people to know God through Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to do and live however I have to within the bounds of God's law in order to make that happen. My bottom line is I want to build others up Consequently, I don't take advantage of any of my rights or privileges because I just want to see people get saved. That's Paul's example. He's talking to a group of people who have been so wrapped up and concerned about their own individual rights, their own freedoms, their own liberties as Christians. Oh, we don't have to live that way because we're free in Christ. I can do this because I'm free in Christ. And they don't even realize that they are trampling all over the consciences of brothers and sisters who see things differently. They've been tearing each other down. And Paul says in very strong language, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters, when you wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ doesn't get any stronger than that Paul says follow my example you're so concerned about your own rights your own privileges look at me I don't take advantage of any of mine I'm just concerned about my brothers and sisters and you should be too Paul says and we should be too that's what the Holy Spirit has said through Paul's words here today we ought to be concerned about our brothers and sisters. I feel like we live in a time when more than ever, every single one of us, every single group of us, we're concerned about our rights, our privileges, our prerogatives. Nobody can say anything about me, or or I'm offended because of this, that, or the other thing. We're all so wrapped up in ourselves, and we've completely forgotten each other. The words of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul ring just as true today in our context as they did nearly 2,000 years ago in the context of some Corinthian believers who were living for themselves and forgetting entirely about each other let's be warned let's be cautioned by the words of the Apostle Paul and let's take his example living not for ourselves but for each other let's pray Our Father, we thank you that we have such an example as lived out through the life of the Apostle Paul who was called of the Lord Jesus to preach the gospel. We have an even greater example, Father, in the life and witness of your Son, Jesus. Who laid aside all of the rights, the privileges, the prerogatives that came with being the very son of God. He humbled himself, took upon himself human flesh, was born, laid in a manger in Bethlehem. Lived and dwelt among us, among the human race. He emptied himself and laid aside every privilege, every right, identified with us. And when the time had come, he took upon himself all of our sins. And he bore the awful cost for our sin, for our rebellion. Taking it upon himself on the tree, he carried it there. He bore the punishment that we so rightly deserved. In order to bring us to you. Everything he did. He did for our good. For our happiness. For our eternal salvation. And he cast aside every personal right and privilege and advantage. In order to accomplish that. May we take from his example. The pattern for our lives father. That none of us lives unto himself or dies unto himself. We live unto you through Christ Jesus. And living unto you through Christ Jesus, our priorities, our concerns ought not be our rights, our prerogatives, our desires, our wants. Our concern ought to be for our brother, for our sister, for their well being. For their good we ought to build up and not tear down help us father by your grace through your spirit to live in such a way that we live unto you and we seek the good of each brother and sister until they be built up and brought to complete maturity in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.